Hey, State of Amorica fans, our good friends, the Amoricans, the Black Crows tribute band, is going to be making a very special appearance at Daryl's house in Pauling, New York. That is Wednesday, February 5th, 2020 at 7 p.m. General admission is $15 and reserve table is $25. Be sure to get your tickets. This is going to be a show you won't want to miss. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast, State of America, hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to the State of Amorica podcast. My name is David, and I'm here with my buddy Ian. New year, but same podcast. Ian, I've hardly spoken to you since the new year because you've been gallivanting all over the world uh, on a world tour. But, uh, man, how was your New Year's Eve? Did you stay up to watch the ball drop? Did you go to Times Square? What did you do? Oh, no, I did not go to Times Square, but, uh, you know, because I wasn't in the mood to put on an adult diaper and stand in the same spot for 16 hours. But uh, I uh, I was at I was at uh, a friend of mine's house, had a relatively low key New Year's, but it was good. And then essentially right from there, went to Florida to uh, visit my parents who relocated there um, a couple of years back. So I've been a, a busy boy, which has thrown off our. Uh, our release schedule, so I apologize to the folks out there. But how was your New Year's, David? Let me tell you how exciting it was, Ian. At 9 p.m., I was sound asleep. Oh, uh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, it's one of the one of the drawbacks to being in the medical profession is uh, sick people don't know it's a holiday. So I had to be at work at 6 a.m. the next day for 10 hours. So uh, anyway, yeah, I missed out on a lot of good football, but it's all good. Uh, went and had a, a nice dinner with my wife and some friends, but... Uh, yeah, last year was a good year. I think this year is going to be uh, even better, especially when it comes to the podcast. Oh, absolutely. We've got so much stuff uh, on the horizon that uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited about. I mean, everything's still coming together. It's still in, a lot of the things are still in the formative stages, but it's I, I really think it's going to shape out to be good. And But who could complain after last year? I mean, it's been, uh, it's been awesome. And uh, speaking of awesome... Uh, everybody that uh, contributed to the charity auction that we did for to benefit Nucci Space. Again, I, I really appreciate you folks. I did have a little bit of a delay in uh, shipping the uh, the items out. We had some uh, overseas participants, which I wasn't uh, accounting for. So, uh, in order to make sure everything was packaged up safely and, and shipped, so that everybody gets what they were looking for and in. Uh, in a good uh, condition i had to uh, get some additional things in and make sure everything was done right but uh everybody rest assured if you haven't uh, received your items yet you will be receiving them shortly most people should have received their stuff by now and and again we do really appreciate it, everybody that participated and uh for those who who, who didn't this time around maybe uh, you'll consider uh joining in next year because we do plan on doing it again Yes, we do. And we had one individual, I'm not going to say his name because I haven't asked his permission if I can give his name out. So 
uh, we'll just call him anonymous, that after the uh, auction was over with made a $250 donation to Nucci Space uh, because of the podcast. So we really appreciate that. Dave Chamberlain, they were very pleased with the dollar. I wound up being, I think, a little over $1,000 by the time it was all said and done. Uh, they were very pleased by that. And uh, so thank you from Nucci Space. Thank you from our buddy Dave Chamberlain. And uh, thank you from us because that's uh, that's really, really cool. We kind of got our feet wet with it this year. Hopefully next year uh, it can be bigger and, uh, and better. I've already had some people offer uh, some items up for auction for next year. Uh, including one thing that is uh, very, very rare. And I know that for a fact because I had to literally fight to get my copy of it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, on a record store day, I, I, I literally I threw an elbow. Uh, it was the, um, the CRB box set. It's the one where it looks like they designed it to look like an analog uh, tape file. Right. And uh, I think there are only 1,500 made. And so there's this there's this record store here in town that on uh, he'll take basically he puts out a, a email and is like who wants what and you tell him what you want and he'll he'll order it and so I was like fifth or sixth in line and I'm gauging everybody what they're there to get you know like I want to get the, you know one of the guys want to get a fish album or whatever and I'm like there's this CRB box set if one of you gets there before me and just put your hands on it you know hold it for me so everybody agreed got in there because of the size of it it wasn't on the regular shelf with all the other ones and i'm on the wrong side of the aisle and i see it and somebody in fr- is in front of it they're looking at it but they're really looking at another album but i reached over them with my elbow put my elbow in their chest extended my arm out and snatched it and i felt no shame and, David, uh, that is not in the spirit of Record I know. Store Day. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what uh, Chris and I talked about when I met him was that album, how that was designed. And he even goes, oh, so you're one of the few people that got it. So, you anyway, know, we've had somebody uh, offer that up um, and um, that, that's, that'll go for a lot of money. It's actually a really good live record. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. But, yeah, so thank you to everybody that, uh, that helped us with that. Uh, we truly uh, that money is going to make a difference. I think that for sure treat one person for psychiatric care for a calendar year, and that extra two hundred fifty dollars, I'm sure they'll find um, something to go for it. So uh, we're uh, just really appreciative of the response we've gotten and uh, all the kind words people have emailed us and sent us to on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we appreciate really appreciate those uh, five star reviews and on um, um, Apple Podcast our we're up to, I think, 90 reviews, and I'm starting to see our name pop up next to some other podcast. So uh, if you haven't done that, do that. Screenshot it. Get it to us either on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll send you something in your email that uh, we think you'll uh, like and enjoy. And speaking of Twitter, our Twitter is at State of Amorca. Uh, we've increased our numbers a lot there lately, and as people can attest, um, Especially this last week, I think I've done three or four giveaways, and so uh, follow us on that. And uh, I'm always trying to um, send out pieces of my collection for everybody. There's no reason to uh, sit on all this and uh, not share it with other people because what's the point in having it if not everybody else can listen to it? I used to hate it in those BMP days. People would get stingy with stuff. I just don't mm-hmm. understand it. So follow us on Twitter, our Facebook at State of America Podcast. We have an Instagram page. I'm going to try to be more active on the Instagram this year. It's one of my resolutions. So I uh, hope to do that. Ian pretty much runs the Facebook page, and he does a great job. So uh, like that, and uh, stay tuned for uh, more to come. We, 
I guess it will. It, it, I guess it will be our next episode that is going to. Uh, it's going to open some eyes in the Black Crows online community, wouldn't you say? It's going to be a red letter day in the state of America universe, and uh, you know, and uh, and uh, uh, quite a surprising uh, chain of events for me personally. So. Uh, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I know you are too, David, and we won't go any further than that, but it's uh, it's going to be a good one. We definitely have a celebrity guest of sorts, but not the kind of celebrity uh, you might uh, speculate that it is. But trust me, it's going to be a good time. It is. So we're looking forward to that. But this week, we have another uh, divisive album to cover, don't we? Oh, we do. And probably, probably aside from Lions, the most divisive album, I would say. I agree with you, um, especially uh, judging by other people's album rankings that came out after that album ranking episode. So uh, uh, why don't we get to it, Ian? All right, David. So tonight's episode we are going to be focusing on, and I've been looking forward to this one, by the way. You know that. And uh, we've had a couple of uh, false starts and stops on this one, but we're finally good to go. We're going to be discussing the uh, very divisive album in the Black Crows catalog, By Your Side released uh january 12th 1999 and joining us tonight we do have a special guest it's mr jason's <laughs> mr jason johannes how are you doing sir thanks guys uh, very well you know usually people mispronounce the last name not the first name you, you said the last name perfectly <laughs> the jason was hard but you know no worries thanks for having me on i'm really appreciated to be on here Big fan of you guys, big fan of the Crows, so this is just a great opportunity, so thank you. Oh, yeah, so you you, uh, you picked a, a great one to come on. We're going to get a lot of hate mail on because we're going to talk about By Your Side. <laughs> yes. But you, you know what? You can direct the hate mail to me, Facebook, Twitter, whatever you need to do. I, I will stand up, and I will take the beating for you guys. <laughs> Look, we uh, we took a pounding over the uh, Lions episode, so uh, uh, I, didn't real- I didn't realize how much people hated that until we did our album ranking episode, and... <laughs> So many people that posted theirs online had lines at last place, and I was just like, I just, I don't, I don't know. And yet, oddly enough, that Lions episode is one of our most popular episodes, so I guess people like to uh, have the debates, you know? They do, and you know, the Lions episode is kind of weird, because clearly you hear the the page influence of playing the Zeppelin songs, it's a little bit of stretch for them. It's not a bad album, it's not their best, but it's got some super classic songs like Soul Singing. That song is amazing. If that doesn't put a smile on your face, you're dead inside, so... You know, I would never throw that album last just just for that song by itself. No, I've always said that that's a uh, that's a rich album. That's a, rich was the creative one, like above all others on that. I think he really got a spark from from Jimmy Page and and was doing some really interesting stuff on the guitar, which then translated to Hook Around a couple of years later. You know, that same energy. Yeah, yeah, you know, and you know, kind of that same vein discussion. I think. Going to buy your side, I think that's also a lot of rich, a rich album too. There's, I mean, he's the primary only guitarist on it. Um, yes. I think it sets a, a blueprint for a lot of his solo stuff. You can hear what he took over and moved to some of his solo albums with some of the riffing. Again, I, I just think that's like a roadmap to what his solo career became. It's definitely a one of the most history rich albums. Uh, you know, as far as its backstory, its recording process, it's the aftermath of it. It's a lot of things. I mean. Normally, uh, when we do these episodes, I kind of go off the top of my head, but I, I prepared notes tonight. That's how much, <laughs> how much info there is on this album. But before, before we get started, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're up to. This is your opportunity to uh, let everybody out there know all about you. 
Oh, no, appreciate it. Um, so when I'm not listening to your guys' podcast or any of the podcasts that you're on or the Crows, um, I do play in my own band. I've been in a band for about 14 years with some of my friends. Uh, we play a lot around Dayton, Ohio, a little Cincinnati, a little Columbus, and we play kind of just an Americana-style rock and roll. Started out as a rockabilly band and just sort of morphed into a standard kind of rock music. Um, we're called Ghost Town Silence, originally called The Rebel Set, but there was a band out of Tempe, Arizona called Rebel Set who started touring around and wanted to monopolize that name, so we gave it to them, and then we called ourselves Ghost Town Silence because that's the name of our first album with the rebel set so if you guys look around on the internet you can catch us on reverb nation um and a couple other places too all of our stuff is posted and how did you uh how did the crows come into your life and kind of what was your story i think everybody has a story is you know when the light switch came on for them with the crows what's kind of your story with that so i grew up my parents listened to a lot of music 60s and 70s rocks so i kind of already kind of in that style and about the time the crows came out i was really into metal and hair metal and, and things at that point because i think i was a freshman in high school in 1990 when that first out actually i was a freshman in high school when that album came out so i sort of had that background growing up was not really listening to that style of music but when those guys came out and i started hearing the first couple songs on the radio um it just clicked with me you know it reconnected me to some of the old classic stuff that i'd listened to with my parents and just Man, it just for whatever it is, it, it it you know it spoke to me, and and to this date too, like I really do like blues inspired rock bands. I like singers that aren't necessarily pretty voice, but have kind of that grit and that soul to it. And it you know, and I've kind of carried on to this day too with like listening to the Marcus King Band and um, a Government Mule and other bands like that too. So I just they were different. They reminded me of music I listened to growing up with my parents, and just really kind of spoke to me. Man, I tell you what, Marcus King has rocked my world. Uh, the future is him. Oh, absolutely. Did uh, you guys see him without the crow's fly ever? I did. No, I didn't. Yeah, I saw them. I saw them in uh, in New Orleans. It's probably about the fourth or the fifth show. I guess I'm being too critical here on some of the stuff. I I felt like he struggled with it, um, which also I've heard him say that he did not realize how complex how complex riches songwriting was until he got ready to play it and when somebody like that that has just so much natural talent that can play probably anything he wants says he was struggling with it at the time goes to tell you that the black crows are not nearly as simple musically as a lot of people want to make it out to believe no no absolutely and why he brought his own flair to it he certainly didn't replicate it one of the great things about him is you can't necessarily say about a lot of the music i listen to i can ask my wife to go to that and she's going to enjoy it She's going to enjoy the soul and the R&B stuff. I'm going to love the jamming and all the guitar playing. <laughs> and so, I mean, I really think he's like, he's found this niche to where the, you know, the guys aren't going to have a hard time getting the wives to come and the wives are going to enjoy it. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the future is him. David, I same thing with my wife. She's not a big fan of jamming. She's gone to some crows shows with me and she likes it when they don't jam and totally she would enjoy the same aspects that your wife does as well too. I full wholeheartedly agree. And, he could play about any style of music. If he needs to sing lead or background, he's available to do that. He is amazing. I have a feeling your wife is then going to enjoy the upcoming uh, Crows tour because it seems they're keeping things very <laughs> concise. So that's going to be a good evening for her. 
And you know what? I'm not actually taking her to that, to be honest with you. So my band, we always pick one or show, one or two shows a year to go to as a band, and that's one of the ones we picked. So we're going to see them in Cincinnati, Ohio, and go together. But she certainly would enjoy this upcoming tour a lot more than some of the other ones I brought her to. And, it, you know, it's interesting that uh, that's where they're at now because, you know, when when the buy-your-side period came around, it's almost like – I was thinking about this today. It's very similar – to what they're doing now, they kind of looped back around to the more straightforward, straight-ahead rock stuff, uh, which was miles ahead from where they were in 97 and, oh, yeah. and, and what they were doing with the band. I mean, I've never seen a band do a 180 like that and and really just shift gears and, and change direction. I, 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 I personally think it has a lot to do with you know American Records being taken over by Columbia, and then they were under a little more... Uh, label scrutiny and a little more pressure to have hits and things like that. And, and and it seemed like at the time, perhaps the band tried to embrace it and go with it and see where it took them. And then ultimately later they would come to, uh, you know, deride the whole thing and, and kind of try to stay, take a step back from it again. What's your take on, on them going from, you know, where they were at in 97 to then Mark leaves and, and, and Johnny Colt leaves and they end up at by your side. Yeah. You know what? Um, I kind of I kind of like that they were put in this approach a little bit better, that they were sort of put into a box. It's definitely a nine to fiver album. When you le- read uh, Steve Gorman's book or you read stuff about this album on the Internet, they work with the producers like, hey, we're going to work nine to five Monday through Friday. Like, I'm going to go home at night, see my family, my kids. And it certainly comes out with that, too, because you look at all the songs other than maybe Virtue and Vice. They're all about the same length of time. They've got a straight structure. There's not a whole lot of like like we saw with Three Snakes and a Charm, a little bit of a free flow to it. So, you know, I don't know if this made them come back to be a little bit more focused on some other things, too, or just kind of brought them out of that, that maybe that, those drug doldrums that got into Three Snakes and a Charm in that period in that touring. But I'm okay with that switch of gears for them to do a little bit more workmanlike album, be constrained, work with a, a producer. And quite frankly, they do some straight up, like, just killer like tracks on this like if if i was going to describe this album i'll say you take 70s rock with late 90 rock production values and with a little sprinkle of maybe some cocaine on that 70s piece because this album comes out swinging it's upbeat for the majority of the album and like i i like it i'll defend this album i like it it's a straight up rocker um the late 90s were a bad period for rock music mostly if you know where the biggest bands rock bands of the time were at that limp biscuit creed um, I don't know what else was going on. It was sort of the, a boy band era, and it was just not a great place. But this was kind of a breath of fresh air for me to hear this. And when I heard this come on the radio, and then I saw him on the VH1 live thing, I was like, man, like this is this reminds me of that first album. And when I heard him as a kid, and like just straight up rock and roll. And they did do a hell of a lot of tv promotion for this album compared to any other album i feel i mean they came out of the gate i think that hard rock live thing on vh1 was prior to the album coming out and it was really put they really pushed it and you know re-listening to it for the for the for the purposes of doing this episode i think my two because i've always loved the album i worked in a record store when the album came out i got an advanced promo of it at the time so I, i you know i dove into it pretty early and um I think, you know, ultimately in the long term, my two problems with the record are the production and the lyrics, because uh, oh. the music is spot on. Yeah. yeah, like go faster. Again, this this album comes right out of the gate and pun- literally punches you in the face. Like it punches you right in the mouth. It's like 
this is what we're going to be. This album is, we're going to go faster on this album than we did particularly in the last two. But you know why I like the music and stuff? There is one juvenile lyric in the first song that just takes me out of it every time I hear it. And the Black Crows aren't known for really juvenile or sexual innuendo type of lyrics other than Lickin', which is a song nobody really likes a lot either. And do you know the lyric that I'm talking about on Go Faster? It's when they say, I don't think you're diseased, but it sure is sore. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, really? Like, not great. Not Black Crows-ish. Like, and it pulls me out of that song every stupid time I hear it. I think it's uh, the byproduct of... Uh... Hanging around Steven Tyler around that time, perhaps. But, uh. <laughs> well, for, for me, the, the problem I have with the album is it came after Three Snakes. And <clears throat> to me, it goes against everything they said they were. And you know, if now that we've read Steve's book, and let's just say 85% of what Steve was saying is is it's exactly how it happened. Like to me, it it makes me a little bit disillusioned. And I guess that means I was naive to just believe that, that they were who they said they were, but you just have this total, I mean, Chris goes to dressing like a pimp, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and everything and everything, which is fine, but it's just, I don't know that. And for some reason that prevents me from enjoying the album. I think as much as other people, like I don't hate it. I think there's some really good songs on here. I think they have some B sides that I've said it numerous times. You've, take out three or four songs and put those B-sides on here and we're cooking. Um, but it's just hard after Three Snakes to go from that to this. And I just, I can't think of a band that went so much like from their artistic peak and then just had in two years. You know, you, you think about it, a year before this was released, they're recording band. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and there's nothing about band that translates to... Uh, to buy your side and vibe style lyrical writing. And, um, I I will say that as time has gone on, I'm, I'm mellowing on it more, um, which, um, I'm starting to do with before the frost because we're, we've got an episode coming up on that and I've been re-listening to that all the way through. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest problem is it came after three snakes. This comes after shake your moneymaker. Nobody blinks, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's like, Oh, it's a good continuation. But anyway, I digress. I, I like it. I like it a lot for different reasons. I complete. I so if you take the people that probably dislike the album, they're probably exactly like you. They were way into Three Snakes, love that, and then this album came out, and they're like, "What the hell?" For me, though, it's the completely opposite. And probably the people who are fans of this album, it's I dropped out of listening to the Crows at that point, man. And Ian, you if you you said you worked in a music store, that there was a surplus of those Three Snakes CDs every time I went into a used record store. So. I was not listening to the Crows. This album came out and I was like, man, like, boy, it's fast. It's upbeat. It's a real toe tapper. I didn't have that Three Snakes reference to go off of. I had the Amorica reference and, and, you know, Southern Harmony. So I think the people that enjoy this album like me probably weren't as much into Three Snakes or or even like the Three Snakes album. And this kind of brought them back. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I I could totally appreciate that. See, the the thing. The thing with me is I when I hear something from a band, if I, you know, if I really like, I follow. No matter how drastic a change it might be, I always kind of take it well. Well, okay, this is where we're going. Let's give this a right. shot. <laughs> so you know, it didn't really, it didn't bother me too much, and it didn't really sink into me how different it was till I, you know, multiple listens and things like that. But I don't hate the record. I I I think it has a lot of merit. The record and 
you know, just as a point of reference, because uh, I've mentioned it on, on past episodes, but uh, Three Snakes is my favorite. I know, and you're going to hate me because I'd rank this ahead of Three Snakes. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, man, it's all uh, it's all personal preference. Music's you know, all but, subjective. Uh, and when you guys right. did your ranking, I lined up more of David on on his his ranking of things more than anything else. So, oh, everybody <laughs> always lines up more with David. You know? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong. But like going back to this album though, so again, I like the straight up rock. I think it was really cool. It was like a, a riff fest for Rich. It's like basically, hey, Rich, like. Turn yourself loose because the first half of the album, there is a just a ton of slide, like ton of crazy slide. And again, it translates a little bit to what he was doing later on with his solo stuff. Um, uh, harmonica playing the first couple songs and throughout the album, too, is like, hey, Chris, break out your harmonica and just go wild with it. You know, Ed gets a lot of good opportunities to play the keys in there for sure. So I really enjoy all those pieces of it. I think a couple areas overall where it's hurt, though holistically is i think you need a second lead player because there's so much of like there's so many songs where rich is doing slide where i think if you had like a mark ford and you know if um ollie freed was on there to even do like the standard riffs or standard solos along with that i think it makes those songs a little potentially a little stronger at the same point too yeah i mean i i certainly think one of the big missteps following uh, Mark and and Johnny leaving, I mean they got Sven and that's great. Sven is a great player. Uh, I've always put him as actually my number one bass player in, in the Crows. Um, but not not getting a replacement guitar player, and then when they did get a replacement for the tour, they oddly is a great player. But I don't think that the the Robinsons and and Steve really put a ton of time into finding somebody that was. Mark like a stylistic level. fit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Audley was was is a competent player, and he's a he's a road guy. He's a hired yep. guy that he's been in a lot of bands. He can adapt, but they really needed to find like uh, you know Mark Junior, uh, someone with that same style to not only handle the back catalog but to give the future material the the, the extra color it needed. I don't well, know. What do you think, David? Well, I have heard Mark say that when he joined the Crows, he had to basically coerce Rich into playing solos that Rich didn't think he was a good solo player. And so it's kind of always befuddled me that if he doesn't think that's his strong suit, why they didn't have somebody else in there when they were recording this album. But, you know, like you said, though, a lot of the solos and stuff are with a slide and things mm-hmm. and things like that. And some of the songs don't really have very long solos. And some of them, like the keyboard, the organ shines a lot, you know. Yep. So there's some different layers to it, but I've always thought that was interesting if what mark said is true that he's not doesn't really you know he underestimates his ability to play solos why he took that over on this album and on the lions album yeah i mean rich really didn't uh come into his own solo wise till his solo career till he like absolutely had to if you think prior to by your side that period most of the solo breaks he takes are are slide solos Mm -hmm. i mean because he really shines at the slide and he did early on you know and again, this I think this probably helped him with the solo career. He had to take the reins. Probably his um, technical ability at that point made those solos a little shorter. I, probably the constraints of the producers wanting the songs to be more concise and radio-friendly to do probably helped him in the long run, too, because he wasn't expected to go out and do the things that we saw or heard on Southern Harmony or Three Snakes either. So, again, like 
thinking through all that, where this album led with where Rich went and everything too, I also gives it some bonus points for me at the same time. So I have a lot more of the you know positive marks for this album kind of overall. This album is like a precursor to a lot of different things that they've done. I also um, you know, always made note of the fact that this album produced more individual original B-sides than any other uh, thing they've done in their catalog. So much so that I, I know for a while, you know, back in the message board days, like one of the <laughs> things, one of the things people would do just for, you know, conversational purposes, and, and I actually did it, and 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 for a long time listened to it as if it were the album. You know, you'd swap out the songs you didn't like for the ones you did as B sides, and kind of come up with your own by your side. Uh, so that's I, I can tell you two songs you can swap out quick. Don't even say it. <laughs> I know where you're going with it. It's this. the same two songs everybody's going to say. <laughs> Let me guess, David. Go tell the congregation and Diamond Ring. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> I'm going to tell was, Steve Gorman you said that, and he's going to be upset. His podcast, your guys did a great job with him. He is so every time he speaks on any any media, he's really good. But you guys also did an excellent job with him. Since we're gonna we're starting to uh, do so already, we are actually uh, you know we usually do go uh, track, track by, by track. track on these things. So. Uh, Let's uh, crack into that. And the, the lead off track on the album is the track Go Faster. started out as red wine stains which uh i believe verse wise was the same and it's the chorus uh that was different So the chorus uh, that was different is the same for the next incarnation, which was Sad Brown Eyes. To be perfectly honest, I actually prefer the chorus on Sad Brown Eyes than to go faster. faster to me is much more simplistic and i, I don't know i, I just kind of liked it better as a song with the with the uh, sad brown eyes but musically I, I i thought it was such a strong opener as you as you had mentioned jason so uh you know i don't understand why more people don't like it it, it again it, this sets the whole tone for the album this is a different album it's full of energy we're going to come out and, and punch you guys in the face and so show we can rock again uh absolutely now my issue with this other than some of the things i spoke about earlier too it is 
similar in tempo and stylistically to the second song as well, too. I think it almost would have been better to be able to break those two up at the same point. And again, I hate that lyric. I don't think you're diseased, but it sure is sore. I think that's way, way beneath that pan to have a lyric like that. Yeah, it's funny. I'm sitting here reading my notes, and between the two of you, you've almost taken the words. I've got uh, uh, I've got the song appears to have gone through several incarnations. Red wine stains and South Brown Eyes have been leaked, and I do prefer the choruses in those. And I was like, musically, I really like the groove of the song, but the lyrics bring it down a few notches for me. Uh, it's like it's a nice, fast-paced opener that sets the tone for the album. Ed has some nice moments on it. Uh, one of the things I don't like about it is the role that the backup singers are playing on it, especially with that part where they're like, do, 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 or whatever. I just, yeah. it's kind of like doo-wop and I'm like, it just doesn't fit. But I think you rework the chorus and a few of these lyrics and it, and it definitely brings this song up a couple of notches. I agree too. And again, um, order wise on the album, you separate the first two songs too, and it doesn't bleed into each other so much. But I will tell you though, this is a good driving album because I used to drive at the point from Columbus, Ohio to south of Cincinnati uh, to do some, some work with the company when this came out. I was with and this this album got me through those two hour drives a lot. And like you got to watch yourself because you may start speeding a little bit when you, when you start taking <laughs> off a couple of those songs. <laughs> Luckily, well, I never I, got a ticket. But you're, you're absolutely right about the second track, which is uh, kicking my heart. Right? was the lead single when the album came out and mm-hmm. i i i enjoyed it I, musically it is so cool it's notoriously the song that was written after kevin shirley said to them you know you guys need to really write a song like you were uh 17 years old again i mean the slide playing though from from rich is fantastic it's a great riff that's kind of buried under all the vocals and it really it really works as a single for me like I, to me that probably was the best choice for the first single i don't know what do you guys think I agree. I, one, the opening riff is really cool where he does that slow slide. And I love that. That's one of my favorite riffs on the album. The whole song is strong from the riffing standpoint. Love all the slide. I think the opposite, like on this one from the first track, the background singers and stuff are really good on that. A lot, harmonica solo is on it. Much better, stronger mm. track. David, what do you think? I think it was a perfect song for the lead single. And I, I kind of, I have here in my notes that if, you're a person that was a big fan of Shake Your Money Maker and you got kind of lost in the jam thing. You probably heard this and go, My Black Crows are back. I, I think the song would have fit perfectly on Shake Your Money Maker, to be honest Absolutely. with you. Absolutely. Uh, it's a it's a it's a really good song. I love the slide playing. It's um at moments the the playing sounds kind of frantic. It's so fast paced and there's different layers that Rich has put on there. Um so yeah, I think uh I think it was a good representation of what the album was going to be. And I think the record company was smart releasing this first because like Steve said, you know, they're the only band that in their first two albums alienated 85% of their audience. <laughs> and, and I can definitely see somebody going, you know, this is our chance to get them back. And so, uh, yeah, I, I don't really have any complaints on this one. Yeah, no, it, it's great. I really like this one a lot. I think this is a standout track for sure. My beef with this though, is I've never really heard them play this live. 
I don't think ever. And all the times I've seen the Crows, I can't remember a time I actually heard this song live. Well, no, I take that back. I saw them on this tour. They played it live the one time, and I've not heard it since. I think the predominant live performances on this were on the By Your Side tour. I, I think it was kind of sporadic after that because um, – I mean, it'd probably wear you out after a while doing this every <laughs> night. It's a, it's a high-energy one, you know? Yeah. Like, if you take Three Snakes and a Charm and say that was their Acid or or Heroin, whatever album, this is the Cocaine album. Again, this just sounds like one of those 70s albums that people just weren't in the studio and probably did a bunch of illegal things and came out and played until their hearts exploded. <laughs> the first two tracks, that's all I could think of. <laughs> and it just punches you in the face. It takes your breath away a little bit, too. Like, it's it's a lot to take. It's, it is, which is interesting then that they kind of take it down a bit with the next track. Uh, you know, not entirely, but uh, the next track is the title track, By Your Side. I've always thought this is an excellent track. It started, uh, you know, on the band, obviously, as uh, if it ever stops raining. And, you know, I might be in the minority here saying this, but I actually prefer the the version with the with the by your side lyrics as the chorus because I think it works really well as kind of a I've I've noted it here as a unity anthem. I don't know any other. It's just kind of mm-hmm. it's one of those like sing along kind of songs. It's kind of brings people together. I think, and especially when Chris and Rich performed it, just the two of them. I believe it, it was either on David Letterman or it was on Conan O'Brien right after 9-11 happened. And it really was touching. See oh, what a powerful song it was and what they were capable of as songwriters with this. David, what was your take on this one? All right. You know me. I always like song number three to be a, more, a little more mellow than the first two. So uh, I like that. I liked If It Ever Stops Raining. I loved Mark Ford's playing on that one. Uh, but I do like this song. This is one of my favorite songs off the album. I have here that uh, this version is obviously more radio friendly than If It Ever Stops Raining. Um, I was like, the chorus is infectious, though, either way, with either lyric. And uh, the girls had a lot. To, you know, this is a, yep. this is an album they really utilized the backup singers on Love more it. so than ever. And um, I even had on here, like, I, I just love kind of some of the symbol work that Gorman had going on on this song. And, you know, Rich's slide solo is really good. Um, this is one, you know, that honestly, once it, the album came out, this is one that, uh, gets played very regularly yes. from, you know, as it should be, as it should. I think it's a, I think it's a great song, but to comment on what you were saying, Ian, about kind of, you know, it's kind of like a unity song or whatever. I think what kind of frustrates some Crows fans is they've never been that kind of a band really. And no. so I think that. That does irk a few people, but um, I I like the song. I think it's one of the better ones on here, and it's one whenever I see them and this comes on, it's a great one to kind of 
kind of just kind of get into a groove with. It's just got a great groove, and it, it a song always brings a smile to my face. So, as to your point of you know it being a unity song, uh, if it can do that, then it's it's working. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Like, great. It's a one, David, your call, and the third one, bringing everything down. Spot on. I like that too. This fits perfectly with that. It gives you a little bit of a breather. The the opening riff on this song and the main, which is also the main riff of the song, is also really excellent. It's simplistic, but it's catchy and it fits with the rest of the song and kind of sets the, the tone for the song too. It's perfect for Rich. And when other guitar players play with them, it really gives them an opportunity to be complimentary as well too. But if you took this song and gave it to early 70s Rolling Stones and had them play it, I think it fits in perfectly with what they did and it, this sounds exactly kind of like a stone song and i mean that the highest compliment i love this song all night all day listen to it. it it stays in your head again i love the riffs i love to play this riff on guitar just when i'm practicing at home just screwing around a little bit it's just man just i love this song this is probably a top 20 crow song for me you know it's interesting jason i never uh gave it that thought but you're you're absolutely right it really could fit in with like a uh a mid to late 70s kind of stones thing yeah maybe, you know yeah, it's perfect they, this could be on some girls or something you know you know and if i again if i was taking this album overall it's like one third of the album's a punch to your face one third of the album is very stonesy and one third of the album is like okay weird what the hell's going on <laughs> <laughs> which which could be said for the for the the, the next track which i think is one of the most smoking tracks on this thing. This this track is the one when I first listened to the album was the first one that that was my kind of punch in the face, like the wake up call, uh, which is Horsehead. annihilates this is a rich solo like if you put this on a rich solo album it's on it this sounds exactly like some of the stuff that he's he's put out and this is i think this is all rich on it oh yeah Uh, but the power of the song isn't necessarily because it's uh, it's so electric and fierce because if you listen to the b-side which is acoustic Mm -hmm. it still has that power which was something to me. That's a real testament to Rich's songwriting ability. It is. And what I don't like about this song, I love I love the music in it. I'm not the either the lyrics or the singing along with it is I'm not super fond of for whatever reason, but I totally dig the music. And I'm not a big fan of the this album track. In fact, I call this when I'm seeing him live in concert a B or B song and either beer or, or bathroom. When it comes on, it's one of the B's beer. <laughs> but when they played this with Paige live, I liked it a lot, and it seemed to fit a whole lot better. And I'm probably breaking your heart, Ian. I apologize, but uh, that's all right. I I, I totally dig the <laughs> Go music. Go for it. it <laughs> you, David hates it. One of my best friends and one of the guys in my band, like the song, almost physically makes him throw up when he hears it. <laughs> he hates it so much. Let me it's, tell you something. Don't don't ever you david will always be on your side for breaking my heart with songs because i it, the, uh, you know he tell you i think it brings him a secret joy <laughs> no I, I, I if i'm being completely honest um this podcast has has definitely caused me to re-examine some of my thoughts on, on certain songs 
and this is one that it has. Uh, I'm like you, Jason. When it first came out, I, it was a skipper for me. But then after I really like took the opening riff in and listened to it, and uh, it has really it has really grown on me now. It's Same. it's odd for the fact that basically the girls sing the whole chorus, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a you know a um, an odd thing for them to do, but. Whenever I hear this and then I go listen to lines, I always think that opening riff is basically a precursor to uh, Cypress Tree. Not Cypress Tree, Greasy, gl- yeah. greasy Grass greasy River. Grass yeah, yep. uh, absolutely. S- that same just fuzzy, you know, heavy, distorted uh, riff. But this is classic Rich Robinson. Oh, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And Ian, to get back on your good side so we're friends again, <laughs> I have, like David, I have grown into that. Like, I like it a lot better than I used to. Um, I love the background singers, David spot on. Like I, I love, I love the, one of the high points of this album is they brought the background singers, the gospel singers back. I love that. I mm-hmm. love that in anybody's music. So this again, makes me love this album. And I like that. That's to your point. The chorus is mainly sung by the background singers. Would I, a, a definitely uh, a weakness for the song. I think this needs more keys. There's not a lot of keys on it. And I think it definitely solves for the weakness for not having that second lead player on this either. Even though it's heavy, rich slide, I think you could probably have some cool fills or something with a stand-up, uh, just straight-up lead player. You know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned how the, the chorus uh, is predominantly sung by the, the background singers because very recently, uh, and I don't know if um, you, will, you were fortunate enough to get your hands on this. If you haven't, we'll send it your way. But a couple of people sent me that, like rough mixes and, and session outtakes from By Your Side, from a couple of different things, but one of them being By Your Side. And there's a, a version of Horsehead that doesn't have all of Chris's little yeah. drop-ins, and it actually suffers because of it. So even though he's contributing very little to it, it does make the chorus in a way. It's it's funny. Do you guys like the Brothers of a Feather version of this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do, too. Even though we don't have the singers, it's those guys' acoustic. I, I The simplicity of it's pretty good, but... Ian, I have grown into this. I like it a lot better. It's a it's a banging version live from Jones Beach with Jimmy Page. I've got like the bootleg DVD of that or something. I actually saw in a record shop and my daughter got me for Christmas. Love nice. that version. I've grown into it. I don't go to the bathroom or get a beer. It's no longer a B or B song, but my buddy Gavin <laughs> in the band still almost vomits when he hears it. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to we'll have to turn him around, you know. But we could so. try. We could try. I don't know about that. Now, you had mentioned uh earlier jason some of these songs sounding like late 60s early 70s kind of r&b tunes uh mm-hmm. and the next track on the album very much for, for me anyway falls into that category and that's uh only a fool, only a fool. I know on rock radio it was the this the version released to rock radio was the one on the album but uh to other stations there was kind of a remix version that uh they tried to get even a little more poppy with i think and of course a video done under the direction of uh, weird al yankovic Yankovic. (laughs) but uh i i like the song um it's the first appearance if i'm not mistaken of the dirty dozen brass band on the album 
And those guys can do no wrong in my eyes as, as far as, uh, you know, a backing, backing horn section. Absolutely. Um, Freaking roll into the fog, man. Those guys are amazing. And you see why they chose that group to play with them and do some recording. They're great. And, you know, they've done things with them throughout the years. You know, musically, I like the song. Lyrically, I could uh, I could leave it. It's just it's just it's not Chris to me. It's not his r- no. normal writing style. And I'm all for, you know, going outside of your comfort zone. But it just doesn't do much for me. I don't know. What do you think, David? I'm going to surprise you guys. This is my favorite song on the album. David, it's like you're trying to hurt my feelings. No, I've got got no problem with either of your opinions. I absolutely love it. I've read that Chris has said this is one of his favorite songs in the Crows catalog to play. I I just absolutely love it. I think it's so soulful. It just Mm -hmm. has a great feel to it. You're right. The Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Kill It. Um, When I was in college, they used to play where I was in college all the time. And I I think they even played my fraternity house at a party one time. And they're just so much fun. And if you're a fan of them, they did two live albums with Widespread Panic that are really, really good. They play, I know, Superstitious by um, um, oh God. Steve Wonder. Yeah, Steve oh, Wonder. Anyway, I'm in on that. Yeah, Whatever so, album that is, got to buy it because so, I yeah, love it. It's called uh, Another Joyous Occasion. It's, it's one of them. But they, they add so much to it. And I think this could, like, could be an Al Green song. Or yeah. it yes. could, or it could honestly be kind of in that uh, goat's head soup. Uh, it's only rock and roll um, era of uh, the Rolling Stones. Great. I could see them cut. I could see the Stones coming down to Muscle Shoals like they did to cut Brown Sugar and, and them recording this one. I just love it. Whenever I'm at a show and it gets played, it makes me feel good and it makes me happy. And uh, I can't uh, negate that emotion, even though I know this is one that people are going to say I'm crazy on. For whatever reason, it resonates with me, and I enjoy it, and it makes me smile, and it makes me want to dance. But I don't dance in because I'm not a good dancer. <laughs> but in my in my mind, in my mind, I am. But uh, yeah, so I, I I absolutely I absolutely love this song, David. If it makes you happy, that makes me happy, buddy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, but um, I love the groove. I like the groove. I like the background singers. Again, this this is a '70s song absolutely a 70s song it's kind of cool it's kind of kitschy ian i'll take your critique too where it's not necessarily a chris sounding song for his voice but i also think it kind of works unlike um diamond ring where oddly this works a little bit for me even though this is my chris song this is one of the songs that makes me really think he needs to do a solo album that's a solo and r&b album. oh yeah mm. it'd, kill it. it'd be interesting as long as he I has could... the gospel background singers right yes I could see that though, and you've said that before, Dave, and I think that's a very, very valid thing. And that, you know, I, I, I hope one day he gets round to doing that. It's funny this track actually though appeared at the tail end of the band sessions, uh, almost in the same capacity. Not much was changed, you know, other than the, you know, the production values uh, from the song. So it's interesting that it it, it appeared then. And I think they even uh, played it a couple of times on the further festival tours they did in 97 so did they take the dirty dozen brass band with them on that horror tour or were they a part of the tour or anything you know they toured with them at one point and i'm i'm honestly don't remember what tour it was hey um let me interject real quick because i have a note here that i think is interesting we're talking about the dirty dozen brass band opening for them the name of this tour was sold out. Do you guys know? Like, obviously, you don't because I, I don't remember this, but Moke was one of the opening bands, which was John Hogg's band. Yeah. 
that's that's very interesting. That's the the first introduction of John Hogg into the uh, Black Crows universe. He's been kicking around twenty years, you know. Uh, he's got a great voice. I love it. I love what he was able to take and, and do with Rich and Mark for a couple albums too. It's a shame that we have we're not going to see any more of that for the immediate future. Yeah, I, I thought he would he was possibly putting something together with Mark, but it seems that would like been great. If, if they were, it's on the uh, back burner for the time being. At any rate, the next track coming up, in my experience and, and opinion, it's one of the most uh, disliked songs in the in the Black Crows catalog, uh, and that is uh, Heavy. <laughs> remember in the late 90s perhaps early 2000s liking this song and being a member of a black crows message board could get you into some trouble because <laughs> you'd definitely be on the receiving end of a beating um i personally like the song musically this is the only set of lyrics written by uh chris that make me uncomfortable listening to them like because they're they're are they I, I hate to say it this way but it's it's like embarrassing almost like they're they're that <laughs> They're like juvenile lyrics. It's it's very odd to me, and I don't. There's only one other song that's like that, and we'll get to that one later. It's on the, <laughs> it's on the same album, but uh, that's I. But I like it so much musically, and again, it's still it, it has that simplistic thing that Chris was shooting for. He said at the time he was listening to a lot of Otis Redding and Muddy Waters, and, and things of that nature, and he was trying to simplify his his approach. But I don't know. It just it doesn't work for me. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? couple things for me on this one one this song just oh, every time i hear it the title and everything it makes me think of the beatles she's so heavy like out of the gate it doesn't sound like musically no but it's just like ear heavy and that that's kind of it for me um rich riffs the crap out of this song like again he's he's working hard man and like he's literally my favorite rhythm player currently and one of my favorite rhythm players of all time and like just the stuff that he's doing through this album i really like and like he's 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 working hard. He probably was sweating through his fingertips when he was recording this in the studio, for sure. I like it. Um, the music is great. I, again, it toe taps a little bit. I think Ian, you're right a little bit on some of the lyrics and stuff. Maybe not not their best stuff, but man, Rich just plays the crap out of the song. Oh, I'm gonna get killed. I really like it. I <laughs> no, really I'm, do. I'm leaving. I'm le- I'm out. Of here. <laughs> I just I think it's I think it's such a fun song, and. It's, it's just nice to have that every now and then. Um, one of the things that sticks out to me, it's a massive drum sound on it. Um, oh, yeah. The, you know, the, however they might Steve's drums, it's, it, it really sticks out. I, I just think it's fun. I actually like sometimes when Chris gets a little silly. I, I just do. Sometimes I think it's funny, but like, but for whatever reason, stuff like licking, though, I mean, I don't enjoy that, but I don't have a problem with it, and I know I can just see my inbox blowing up. Uh, you know, you need to. You're in trouble. I've lost it, my street cred, but it's a good, <laughs> good toe tapper. Like it's like if you have it on the background, you don't have to pay close attention to it. It's got a groove. I dig it. Yeah, I mean, if I go see them, I'm not going to be like, I hope the heavy makes it makes it into the set list. 
But if I'm if I got this record on and I'm kind of tap my toe to it and smile while I listen to it, but I mean, it's not definitely not my favorite, but I I don't hate it. There's some coming up that I think are just absolutely horrible. But uh, <laughs> but but anyway, I, I, like I said, I don't hate it, and this is kind of weird because normally it's uh it's uh, Ian that that's finding the positive and everything, and me poo pooing things every now and then, and here I am like heavy's really not so bad, guys. Like, you I, know what? I'll be honest with you, David. Like I I like the song musically, and I don't have a problem when when Chris gets a little bit silly because you know, and uh, um, there's probably some folks out there who haven't heard me say this, so they're going to hear it now, but. I like the track Sleepyhead, so I, you know I can deal with Chris getting a little, little ridiculous or you know simplistic. But I don't know; it's just something about these these lyrics. I said, like, "Ooh, you know they, they don't resonate with me too well." Musically, it goes along with the album, kind of where they're at and what they're doing, and like I, I think it fits in well. Is it a top song for the Crows? No. Does it fit on the album? Yes. Do I skip it? No. You know, so i'm good with this one i'm good with this one i don't i don't pass it up i don't want to hear this probably live but i think this is a great fit in for the album fair enough that's a that's a a reasonable assessment now jason if you listen very closely i'm going to say something and you can (laughs) you'll probably be able to hear the exact moment david's heart breaks (laughs) so i'm going to tell you that the next track on this album is my favorite track on the album (laughs) And I can I can see David right now. I'm hurting him, and that's uh, that's uh, well, <laughs> that's welcome to the good times. Welcome to the good times, honey. Did you bring your own parade? And welcome to the big time, baby. Time for a serenade. La da 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 da. da. I I love this song. I always loved it when the record came out. I, I, I there's two things that actually made it that much more enjoyable for me. At some point, you know, I was doing one of those late night shooting the breeze about music with somebody and they said to me, you know, it, it really reminds me of a an early era like music for Big Pink or or mm-hmm. the self titled band era a band track and i went back and listened to it and it does it has a lot of qualities of the band and i i have a a long time love affair with the band so that's okay by me and then in 05 when mark came back to the band and they they started playing it live Mm -hmm. a bit more there's a it's on the studio track it's a secondary guitar line whereas it's going i i musically i don't know the the term for it but say for example rich's hand is going down the neck mark is doing the reciprocal thing going mm-hmm. up and it, it contrasts each other and mark kind of brought that more to the forefront when they would play it especially acoustically and that really made me appreciate the song a lot i, I just uh i think it's great i i love the horn part on it it really it does it hits me emotionally that horn part and i i read somewhere at the time and i actually went back and found the article chris had the horn part in his head and he hummed it to the dirty dozen brass band to and they went based off of what he was humming to them which i think is so cool because it's a very intricate amazing horn. so i mean I, I i love the track i know i know david does it and he's about to tell me about it <laughs> david what's your interpretation of this hey track? hey to be honest this is another one of those songs that because of the podcast has grown on me 
Um, You're welcome. I think <laughs> I do think the ending of it is I have here. It's just pure bliss. Um, and the Dirty Dozen Brass Band adds so much to this. Um, if you listen to, if I don't know if you guys have spent much time in New Orleans. I get down there all the time. It's like two and a half hours from me. This sounds like something you could hear walking through the French Quarter, uh, you know, on like a midday Saturday when they have the marching band bands out walking through the quarter. I honestly just never gave this one. I don't guess I listened to it with attentive ears um, because when we started the podcast, like I said, Horsehead and Welcome to the Good Times and um, some of the songs on uh, Before the Frost that I had just kind of passed over. Uh, people have pointed out why they really like them. And if somebody takes the time to write something to me and says, hey, this is why I really like it, I'm going to go listen to it you know, and, and, and try to have an open mind about it. And uh, this one went from one that I always skipped to one that now – uh, I enjoy a lot more so than I did in the past. Yep. It's the, it was the sleigh bells, wasn't it? You know? Yeah. So <laughs> sleigh bells. Absolutely. So one of my notes is, Hey, good thing we're doing it at this point right around the holidays, because it starts out like a Christmas song with the sleigh bells. And <laughs> if they would have released this right around Christmas instead of January, you, you might've had a holiday hit on your hand. <laughs> I like this song. Ian, I know why you like this song. I think you could have put this, probably on three snakes and a charm and would fit better with mm. the tone of that album than this album. And I know that's your favorite one. And that's why you like the song. You're probably right. I'd say probably exactly right now that you mentioned it, it does have, it does lean more towards that sound more so than the rest of the songs on this album. I'm okay. I am secure in my love for this song. So <laughs> it will let you catch your breath too. Cause again, there's a lot of fast paced or really heavy riff, heavy songs. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a must-have song in an acoustic set too. So, you know, it's it's I, good. And you know, and Rich isn't going crazy. He brings it down a little bit. His fingertips aren't sweating like he was on the heavy song right before this. So it's good all around. I dig the song. But I, I think certainly if you took this, dropped it on Three Snakes and a Charm, it probably fits a little bit better um, musically or stylistically with that than versus this album. And you know, I'm I'm stalling, of course, because the <laughs> the next the next track coming up is the 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 great uh, divisor between uh, David and myself, and it's become somewhat of a running joke throughout the course of the podcast. Uh, one of us likes it, and the other one doesn't. Uh, but the next track is "Go Tell the Congregation." When you It's no secret that I'm the one that likes this song. I like it because I feel that the groove musically, it's very funky. And, and the, the band always kind of dabbled with funk elements in covers that they did and jam uh, segments that they did. So I like to see them actually fully diving into the water and, and trying to do their own take at it. A lot of people feel they weren't very successful at it. Again, I think it's the fault of the lyrics really more so than the music. But uh, hey, David. <laughs> what, what do you think about this one <laughs> it's a top five worst black crow song it's on up oh. there with uh there's gold in them hills 
um, and uh, and Woe Mule. Um, it's it's bad. The, the I do, I'll admit though, the intro of it I think is cool, but um, the lyrics and the delivery with the backup singers just kill it for me. My mother always told me, don't ever say what you're never going to do. There's a strong possibility that I will never like this song. Um, I just, I can't stand it. I don't know how it got on the album. That You know, you don't have to go. It must be over. Grows a rose. All of those songs would have been so much better than this. Um, but for whatever reason, somebody liked it. That's If we ever get to interview like Pete Angelos or whatever, I'd like to ask him. This is one of the things like... Who had the final say so when it came to this album? What went on there? Was it how much input did the band have? How much input did the label have? How much input did he have? And how much input did uh, Kevin Shirley have? And one of the things I would say is like, when this song came up, why didn't somebody raise their hand and go, this isn't a good idea? But I mean, yeah, it has kind of become a running joke on on, on the podcast. But yeah, I just, I don't like it. And I, I, there's very few Black Crow songs that I do not like, and this is one that is just right up there at the top. Well, perhaps there were more people like me in the room when they were making those choices. <laughs> you know, so it's weird. The Crows just posted what two days ago on the anniversary of this this record on their Twitter feed and on their Facebook page about this, and they wanted people to list their favorite song on the album. And I this this came up. Way more than I expected, to be honest with you. I saw people really? put this down there. If you guys read some of the comments on those posts, then I was like, "Wow, okay." Because it's for me, it's a miss. Like, it's kind of a weird song. Like, yeah, if Chris wants to go out and do a '70s R&B record, this would probably be good. It, it's a man. It's just it's the wrong kind of '70s music for me at this point. Um, I just and I think this gave them the liberty to go out and record "I Ain't Hiding" in a later date too. So I deduct points for that. So I'm not oh, a yeah. fan of I Ain't Hiding. No, I don't think anybody is. Well, <laughs> some, some people disco are, but... crows. <laughs> no, I actually, that that song, uh, if I could uh, digress for just one minute, I Ain't Hiding, not my favorite song, but smoking Rich Solo. And we were talking about Rich Solos earlier. That's one where it's no slide in that baby. And he really, if you listen to Before the Frost, I don't know if you've ever picked up on this, but if you haven't, go back and listen. You can hear somebody right after Rich finishes that solo. You can hear somebody in the background do like a yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's so it, it's so appropriate. However, our next track is the one one of two. The first one being "Go Tell the Congregation," but this is the second track that the album was held back from its original September release date to January uh, in order to put this track on it. This is "Diamond Ring." <laughs> Again, it seems I keep repeating myself, but musically a great song, uh, lyrically, for for a song that that held back an album for what is that about three months? It was only played twice on the support tour and never played again. So I, it doesn't make sense to me if they were so big on the song, 
why did it, why didn't it get more, you know, stage time? Riots. I think people might have rioted <laughs> and thrown chairs, things on fire. I, maybe that's why. Just, you know, going from my comments earlier, I think you turn it to one of those 70s um, R&B guys. Again, it's a lot better song. It's not a good Crow song. It's weird. And that is, and, is. and that is the song. This is the reason uh, "Grows a Rose" didn't make the album. That's what yes. that's what gets me is is that song you, you goes chose this that goes from being Steve Gorman's choice to be the lead single to being hold on we gotta we gotta get one more song here what can we do we can do uh, we can do Diamond Ring you know <laughs> but Steve if you remember Steve said he liked it because of uh, what Sven did on it so right you know. Who and knows? it was their, their R&B or whatever they want to do. But, you know, guys, if, if you take one of those R&B artists that were big in the 70s and gave them this song, it's probably a, a hit, right? Like, what do you think? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Especially musically. It's yeah. Not, I mean, it's, it sounds like something good for that, Chris. It sounds like something could be recorded down in Muscle Shoals. Yeah. yeah. I, I would love to hear somebody take that now and redo that and do a real actual R&B version of it and see what it sounds like. It's it'd probably be pretty cool. It's just terrible. There's no way around it. It's not the Black Crows. No. It's just, it's not the Black Crows. And how this grows a rose that I know people are tired of me saying, it. that's the head scratcher for me <laughs> so many times with this band. is It's like uh, I interviewed Roger Stevens from uh, Blind Melon, and I was like, how does the song Soup not make it on the album Soup? You know, and he gave this kind of long, convoluted answer, and at the end, he's just kind of like, "I really don't." It was just one of those things that happened. Like, I'm hoping this is just one of those things that happened. <laughs> you know, it kind of like fell through the crack or whatever. But it doesn't. It just doesn't make sense no. that you that you postpone an album to drop a song that the drummer thinks should be the lead single. <laughs> you know, it just it, it, it's just it's mind boggling how that decision was made. But I mean. I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of people coming out and giving us hate mail for our stance on this one. It seems to be kind of universal. And it was funny when we were interviewing Steve uh, because of some technical issues we had, we didn't have the video of it. And uh, <laughs> when he was, he's going off about diamond ring, I'm just sitting here with my head in my hand. Oh, Steve, <laughs> no man, no. But uh, I mean, Hey, he knows more about music than I'll ever know. So I'm going to have to defer to him on that. But yeah, this is, this is definitely, the other day on Twitter, somebody asked me, like, what are your the 12 misses that the band ever did song-wise? And, of course, this one's on there. But um, I don't think they have a lot of misses. I really don't. I, You know, the worst song on most Black Crows albums I like more than other bands' best songs. But, mm-hmm. man, this one is, is not one to make that case for. Agreed. And I can't believe when Steve, like, when you guys were interviewing him, he talked about how he liked it and stuff. I was... I was for sure when when you got to this song with him being self deprecating as much as he is that he would trash it, make fun of it, and he's like, "Wow, he actually likes it." Listen to it. I'm like, "That," and I would have lost money if I bet on that. So I just complete miss. I 100 percent agree with you. Yeah, I uh, jokes on me on that one because I that was when we were coming up with things for the Steve Gorman interview. Obviously, you know, we went through a lot of stuff, and um, it was it was uh, something I came up with was let me take. A, a lot of songs that are notoriously not liked by a majority of the fan base and see what his opinion was on them. And I was scared to ask him as I'm doing it. Cause I thought, you know, he would get annoyed with me after a while. Cause I had a list of like probably twice as long as, as the ones I asked him, but I was surprised to hear him say that, but going back and listening to it for the, for the purposes of doing this episode, 
uh, he and Sven are really laying down a solid groove on the back of that. I, you can't deny them on that one. Right. Um, and they really do something magical there. So I could I could see from his own personal standpoint why it would be a he would have like an affinity for the track. You know, they should have saved it for the side project. Or or it might have been more fitting as a B side. You know, what I mean, if yeah. I. If I bought a single and that was tacked onto, I'd be like, I, I think I'd I'd have a different viewpoint of Agreed. it. Agreed. It's but weird. For, for yeah. something that you're going to hold a record back for, it's that wasn't it, you know. <laughs> yes, I would say we move on from this song. <laughs> yes, let's let's march on. <laughs> We've given way uh, too much time than it deserves. This is a song that I constantly confuse with a song that's a B side that's very similar to it. But uh, the next song is "Then She Said My Name." been slightly underwhelming to me it um my opinion of this song is saved solely for the per- uh, inclusion of the part that uh, the lyrics uh, offer me a melody and pour a cup of wine what's going on musically underneath that it's such a short segment but it really i don't know it always did something for me i i, I like that makes up for the juvenile sexual innuendo and go faster how's that <laughs> yes. bounces that out yes no I, I like this song because i think it gives ed a lot of time to do some things on there he's he's very prevalent out front on that too and i really like the post solo breakdown on that album too on that song i think that's really cool i i dig that a lot you know it, it's an eddie song i think an ed song and i just i i dig it man i don't skip this one either i think it's a, a good setup to the last song too well, it was it was originally a song called uh, "Thrown It All Away," and uh, identical except for the chorus. And um, I've never actually heard the "Thrown It All Away" song, but reading the lyrics, I think I would have preferred the the lyrics to that in place of the "Then She Said My Name." I probably would have made it a little more uh, appealing to me. I don't, know, David. What's your what's your take on this one? Is the song you get it confused with? Just say you're sorry. No, no I always. I always get like always get those two songs confused. Uh, it's actually it must be over. I always confuse the yeah. two. Yeah, I I view this song the same way I do heavy. I love it. I think it's a fun song. Uh, it's I I'm, it's not a I don't skip it, but it's not one that I go. I you know when I walking up to the show. Oh man, I hope you know. Then she said my name makes it in the set list. If it does, great. But if it doesn't, you know, no skin off my back. Uh, I think it's a fun song. I think it fits on this album very very well. Uh, and uh, I, I have no no problems with it. I, I think it was a good addition. Oh, absolutely. And again, when you guys listen to it next time, like listen to that post solo breakdown and what they do with keys and everything. I I always focus on that. I think it's super cool. It's you know it's a, it's a nice it's a nice. I don't know if it's not to change a pace, but it's just different than a lot of the song structures they've had throughout the album too. So, you know that all that always that always gets me into that song when I hear that. Well, the time has come to close out the album and uh, the album actually finishes out with uh, 
uh, my second favorite track, very close to uh, Welcome to the Good Times, but I, I love this track. It's always uh, brought up as what a magnificent closer it is, and anybody that says that is absolutely right, and yep. that is Virtue and Vice. This song, to me, musically and lyrically, is so powerful that it really is up there with some of their best material. I, I would put this side by side with a lot of their, what people consider their top tracks. And like I just mentioned, a lot of people always say, you know, how much they love this as a set closer. But uh, on the 06 tour here in New York, I, I got this as an opener, and it oh, was. Oh. Uh, equally as powerful as an opener wow. I, I couldn't believe it I, I i wasn't expecting it they come out and and they hit it with this and it really just kind of you know blew my hair back and i uh, would blow I, my mind if i heard that first yeah it's, well, they, it was unbelievable it was one position. of those it was one of those shows either at like lupo's or in um new hampshire that gets circulated uh hampton beach casino maybe they get hmm. circulated so much that it was an opener on yeah i always thought that was a great song to open with it's a great closer uh it's kind of you know it's it's one of the few songs that there's just pretty much consensus amongst all black crows fans regardless of era that it's a good song my problem with it is it's to me it doesn't fit on the album and so like if i'm listening to the album and it gets to this i'm like it's kind of out of place to me it's kind of like well i don't like i'm not a fan of evil eye on three snakes but to me evil Mm -hmm. eye seems out of place on three snakes and this one seems out of place but I, I'm in agreement with you. Uh, people gravitate toward this one. Uh, I would say the majority of people listening to this episode are going to say this is their favorite song on it. And I feel like it's one that honestly could fit in any era of the band. You could put this on any album and it would make sense, except for this one. Uh, you know, you could put it on Lines. Lines has some heavy songs on it, like Lay It All on Me and stuff like that. Uh, it would definitely fit on uh, War Paint, it would fit on Amorca. Uh, three snakes but it just seems oddly out of place and i i know there i think i was reading up on it i think there was this does go back to the band period doesn't it uh ian Hmm. weren't Um, they weren't they working on this to some extent or am i wrong on that no there was it was a, a much earlier version and it is it is very different you know at that point than what it would become later but then i also read that um you know rich had the the chorus section in place and he went through you know about a dozen verse structures to go with that chorus and this you know the the final track is obviously what he decided with but i think this one it sounds to me like out of all the tracks that they were toying with this one went through the most revisions yeah this is an all-timer song for me it's definitely in my top 20 it feels like the end of something when you listen to it now i'm gonna have to find these concerts towards the beginning because to get my mind blown to see but this feels like the end end of a movie end of an album feels like the end. Everybody gets a chance to shine on it. Chris just does a good job with singing. He doesn't over-sing on the song like he does on some other songs on this album mm. with straining his voice. 
uh, best solo on the album for me. Not it's very melodic. It's it fits in right. He's not trying to do too much, play too many notes, not ripping the slide. It's straight up melodic. It shows a little growth for Rich on there. And man, some of my favorite all time lyrics is in the song. Mm. Again, to make up for the sexual innuendo on Go Faster, it's like, say another <laughs> prayer, save another life, kiss me on my head and tell me everything's all right. Like, I listen to that and like, man, that's that's pretty powerful. That's like, that's super cool. I just, this this song is like everything the Crows should be and are. I love it. It's it's definitely an excellent track. Now, of course, that winds down the officially uh, released album. And I will say that because I've, I've knocked on it a couple of times and uh, throughout the podcast and even on here, I I, uh, I think, and the, I feel that Kevin Shirley's production on this album, although he, you know, especially from reading Steve's book, he was a very positive influence on the band. He he was what they needed at the time. I just felt that it was it was overly glossy, which a lot of rock records were at the time. Mm-hmm. But one thing that he did get right on this record was Steve's drum sound. Steve sounds. You know, he's got like that Bonzo thunder on this thing. And I think that's I think that's great. It really did Steve a service and really showcased the power of his drums. And Ed really shines throughout this album. And he's not really given a a whole ton of credit for that. Yeah. One thing we really didn't talk about, though, was Gorman. Like he is just as much as rich as sweating and smoking through his fingertips. Gorman is just beating the crap out of the drums almost every song on the album except for the couple slow ones but he is after it man and it gets your heart racing it's i mean that's that's what's the backbone of the whole all of these songs and he does an outstanding outstanding job on i mean he's not shy about hitting the drums hard or playing fast but man he just he crushes it on this album he does and ed does as well Uh, this was ed this was ed's album and it's a shame that it's one that so many people get kind of upset about because I would say Ed is the probably the most universally loved member of the Black Crows. And uh, this was, you know, I, I kind of feel bad that he got a bigger role in this than any of the other albums, but yet it's the one that so many people poo-poo on. It, you know, if they focus on that stuff, that there is a lot of good things. Like, again, keys get a chance to shine. You've got the background singers again. You've got some great riffing, like, you know, I get it's a 180 turn from Three Snakes, but it is. If you take the album for what it is, a rock album, it's. I I think you just gotta you just gotta listen to it and take it for what it is and not try to compare it against anything else. And I think you'll be a lot more happy with it. You'll find yourself uh, tapping your toes, moving along, grooving, smiling, David, kind of like you said, and just enjoy it. You just you just can't compare it against that last album that they had before before this one. No, I mean, you can't. And, you know, unfortunately, I think for some people that that followed the band's trajectory through, you know, Southern Harmony into Amorica, into Three Snakes and, and really was with them and followed them down that path to have such a drastic change. A lot of people took that very personally. And, um, you know, I can understand that because you, you think you're you're into something and then they kind of shapeshift on you or something. But, you know, it's it's funny with the Crows. They can't get away with that as much as some other bands have. Now, uh, for example, um, you know, because Neil Peart just died. Yeah, um, I was watching. Yeah, a shame. But uh, I was watching a a documentary uh, that I own. It's called uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage about Rush and how many times they changed what they were doing. And people just went with it and they kept, mm-hmm. you know, it's much more acceptable for them or even the Stones or uh, if for some reason the, the, the Crows aren't allowed to do that as much. And I think that's why, you know, some of these albums 
met the the fates that they did at least commercially is because yeah. people don't want a certain thing from the black crows you know yeah kind of an odd thing from your fan base and we'll let's give chris credit even though he dressed like some weird space pimp on this he never put on the jazzercise stuff in the leg warmers and danced around like he was instructing the jazzercise class no. like like Mick Jagger. <laughs> That's a tough one. And, and doing that, didn't that kill Billy Squire's career too in the 80s with one of those videos? Yes. Like he had, and it just it just killed him. Gone. It did. It, and, and that's the power of MTV at the time, right? But, uh, <laughs> it can make or break you. I've got, my, I've got mine on as we speak, so. Don't show us. Don't yeah. show us. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of pleased you waited to so late in the game to announce that. I don't know if I could have made it through the episode. But, um, so this this album, you know, there were a lot of B sides on this album, you know, and uh, you know, since we're we're moving right along here, I thought maybe I'd ask you guys your favorite B side and your least favorite one. Dave, David, uh, what's uh, what's your thoughts on these? It's got to be. I mean, it's got to be "Grows a Rose" or I, I have a three way tie: "Grows a Rose," "You Don't Have to Go," or "It Must Be Over." Um, and then this is the one where they recorded the Bob Dylan song as a B-side, isn't it? Um, Unfo- the- unfortunately, yes. Yeah, that one's horrible. Um, <laughs> so that's my least favorite one. Yeah, you, you don't have to go. That kind of that has part of, part of pastoral in it, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I think yeah, you take those couple the songs off by your side and put those in, and you have a totally different album. But the vibe of those songs fit the album. So, I mean, I, I don't know how that, why they got left off, but they did. And that's one of the things I, I did like. Um, I believe Magpie played You Don't Have to Go, didn't they? Wasn't yes, they did. And, and Grows a Rose. So we actually got to hear those, which is which is really cool. Uh, but, yeah, I've, <laughs> I think this is one of the most fertile sessions for B-sides that they've ever had. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, any any of those three, and I'm, I'm cool with it. But I, I don't like the Dylan cover at all. My, my list actually exactly mirrors yours i think you don't have to go could have been a single that's how when i first heard that as a b-side i said what were they doing leaving this here this is fantastic on so many levels and i I obviously grows a rose is great i don't like that dylan cover because it's too produced to for a dylan track to me and it's not one of dylan's particular particularly uh best songs i never really liked it when he did it either so it's from a period of dylan that i don't like that much so i don't know what do you think jason yeah, I'm with you guys. I think definitely those two tracks, Rose, and um, you don't have to go. Which one? What song was that a B side off of? Um, you know, Do you I remember? Guess, no, okay, it gets I've, a little fuzzy for me now. I've pulled up my iPad. I'm scrolling through it. It's not doing me anything, hey, but I and, think those are two outstanding. And I forgot to mention there's a version of Peace Anyway that was recorded on these sessions that's different oh, from the band. I love that song. That, that I, yes. That's actually... That's my favorite one, and I have the B side. I, I can't reach it now, but it's a, a B side. I think maybe for the song by your side, really, or only a fool. Yeah, I have the forty five over here. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry about that, but yeah, peace. Anyway, uh, that cannot go uh, un, unmentioned. No, so, that is a that is an Ed Giant, and oh actually, I'd be honest with you, I prefer when he's playing the organ as opposed to the straight piano on that exactly. on the. But uh, it's still a fantastic song either way. Man, I have to hear that because that may change my favorite B-side off of that album. My <laughs> my least favorite, too, is like, I'm not a, I respect Bob Dylan. I think he's a great songwriter, but he's one of those guys for me that anytime I hear somebody else cover one of his songs, um, I think they do it better. And then Ian, like you, I'm a huge band fan. Like, I'm, I love the band. And like, 
when they did his songs or play with them, like I just they just overshadowed him too. But I respect mm-hmm. his musical genius, but I'm just not a, a Bob Dylan guy at all. No, I mean I think the the best records he did were with the band and uh uh particularly um uh Planet Waves, which was the the band was the backing band on that one. So but uh yeah, it's you know, it's funny to me though the excitement we have for these B-sides overshadows some of the album tracks and, and it's it's weird <laughs> it's very it's it's an odd thing to have that be for a uh, you know usually only get that the only other band i've really seen that with is uh, radiohead radiohead has a uh, an oasis oasis uh, yeah. oasis yeah. big time yeah they you both guys have... called that out yeah on one of your podcasts and i was shaking my head i'm like yeah man oasis like their one B-sides album is amazing uh the master plan right well, yeah. Noel says the Master Plan is the greatest song he's ever written. Yeah, it's a, it's great. Man, there's there's standout tracks on there. It's like hard to believe that again when you start going with the third and fourth Oasis records that some of the songs that made it on the album didn't were on the album instead of some of those other ones too. It's it's ridiculous. It's kind of like this album, right? Like there's a couple like what the hell kind of songs on here where you hear the B tracks and you're like, man, those are really freaking good. Why didn't they make it? It's it's always a mystery to me, but you know it's part of the <laughs> allure of this album over time, really. And you can't people. This album now just turned twenty one twenty one years old. Wow! And pe- people in the fan base and everything still talk about it with the same conviction. So I mean, that's it, 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 there's got to be something to this album. You know what I mean? It's not just a throwaway or anything like that, despite what some people might tell you. But um, I also think I was thinking about this as in preparing for the episode. That you know, it could have very well been you know the way that Steve's drums were presented on this and the 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 their return to rock and everything. This could have been what what secured them that spot with Jimmy Page for a little while, and ultimately that's a fantastic thing. So you know. Oh, I agree. I mean, again, this kind of set a roadmap to a couple of different things. Rich's solo career, Chris's love affair with R and B music, maybe really came to shine on here. Uh, it just. This album reminds me of a very specific time in my life to right out of college, working my first jobs, not being on the Crows bandwagon for a couple of years, seeing that VH1 thing when they clearly destroyed the Goo Goo Dolls, even though the Goo Goo Dolls got the top slot and more time um, and made me get back in the Crows. And that was a point, too, where now I'm in a college. I've got a job. I can actually attend more concerts a little bit easier and stuff, too, with a little bit of disposable income. And I saw I've seen a lot of shows over the years, too. So I, I again. Like this album, maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but I like it. I like what it's meant to me. It got me back in the crows, and I've enjoyed them for like the last how many years? Is twenty one years since really? So, I you know I, I get I get why some people don't like it, but man, this just hits hits a couple key spots for me. Yes, and I I will I will continue to work on my. Uh... <laughs> Uh, advocation for go tell the congregation and maybe one day I'll get David. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't look promising, but uh, it could happen. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's uh, we really appreciate you uh, coming on, Jason. It's been a great yeah, discussion. Yeah, you, 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 you have hit a grand slam. No, I appreciate you guys. Like I'm, I am truly a fan of you guys and what you're doing. Not only in back rows, but I think you guys do a great job with this and some of the other things that you're doing. So I was very honored and appreciative to, to come on and sp- speak with you guys too. And, you know, anytime you need me, you know, if people don't get too much hate mail about everything, let me know what I can do for you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, we truly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, prior to, uh, to recording the episode, we had spoken and, and we had, uh, extended the, 
courtesy as as we typically do to see what track you wanted to close the uh, show out with and you had actually selected the studio version of virtue and vice so a perfect closer for the album is going to be our closer uh for this episode we appreciate you coming on with us jason and uh thank everybody for listening and we'll see you next time stay tall
Hey, State of America fans, our good friends, the Americans, the Black Crows tribute band, is going to be making a very special appearance at Daryl's house in Pauling, New York. That is Wednesday, February 5th, 2020 at 7 p.m. General admission is $15 and reserve table is $25. Be sure to get your tickets. This is going to be a show you won't want to miss. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. 